I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Bob Kimmel, the CEO of K2 Insurance Services, came on my radar and that of most other London-based insurance folk when last year his US-based MGA group picked up the remnants of what had been the pioneer group of MGAs to form K2 International. K2 owns a major collection of MGAs in the US, writes over a billion dollars in premium and is highly acquisitive both of talent, new agencies and other ancillary insurance businesses. I didn't know Bob personally and researching K2 ahead of our London meeting, I suppose I came into this podcast with lots of preconceptions about what the CEO of such a fast-growing and aggressively expansive US headquartered group would be like. I was completely wrong. Bob is clearly very ambitious for K2, but he's also very easygoing and charming, as well as being disarming about how steep the learning curve has been for him, a former reinsurance broker, moving much closer to the end customer. New MGA startups and acquisitions, a potential Lloyd syndicate in the offing, and a conscious hunt for talent in specific classes. Bob's intray is absolutely overflowing, and in this interview he discusses all aspects of MGA management in a disarmingly open way. I really enjoyed my time with Bob, and I think you will too. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA claim service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Bob, thank you so much for taking time to talk to the Voice of Insurance here in London. Why don't we kick off? Tell us about your career to date. I mean, you've been in the industry for a long time. Tell us all about that and then how K2 has come about. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me here this morning. Thanks to your listeners. A little bit about my background. So I've been in the business approximately 30 years. I started as an intern with E.W. Blanche Company. Did that for two years and then worked there for six or seven years as a reinsurance broker, all in San Francisco. Uh, moved on to a company called Collins Associates and opened up a San Francisco office for them. That's a reinsurance broker. Reinsurance broker. That was bought by Guy Carpenter about 10 years ago. Correct. And so we'll get to that in the Carpenter and how we got to K2. But anyway, so I really focus on two things. I focus on commercial earthquake business being in San Francisco, and I focus on MJ program business. After about a 12-year run, we sold that business to Marsh McLennan or Guy Carpenter in 2009. And I went over there to run their program practice group. So 
Historically, Carpenter hadn't been big in the program business. A lot of the big brokers had stayed away from it. You make a marriage with suspect MGA and a carrier, and the results aren't good. You get tarnished by that introduction. And so historically, I don't think they'd been there. They didn't see the revenue there. Obviously, over the last 20 years, the MGA business has grown so much. And all their treaty clients were looking for new business. And so they wanted introductions to the MGA. So we really beefed up the program practice group in 2009. Uh, they allocated eight or nine young professionals to help me go prospect the MGAs. Two-year period, we visited about 160 MGAs. I visited all those myself. So we saw a lot. We saw good ones. We saw bad ones. And took notes from that, what I thought would be a great MGA. My partner at K2 was somebody by the name of Pat Kilkenning. Had it really formed Arrowhead and grew that into a great business. Sold that in 2006. Got out of the business and was just talking to me about what we were seeing in the market as we visited these 160 MGAs. Common themes, we had an aging principal. You had zero or no succession plan. You had aging systems that need serious investment. You had declining results just because we we're in a soft market environment. Post the economic meltdown, the exposure bases were down. So premium was down. And so it was somewhat of a dismal picture, but the big one in the early 2000s, the private equity firms were buying MGAs, I think through redemptions of funds, post the, the economic meltdown or mortgage meltdown, there were no buyers. So you had a lot of folks who probably wanted to sell in the early 2000s, didn't sell, and now by the late 2000s needed to sell. And so I told those findings to Pat Kilkenny, he kept smiling bigger and bigger and said, let's go roll them up. So that was really the formation of K2 was to go after these smaller, independently owned MGAs. And how many acquisitions did you make in those early days? Was it too many? Well, the, the kind of the funny thing, at that time, we knew a lot of smart people had no money. We went out with Endeavor Capital. We had a lot of money, but really no ideas. And so we had a prospect list of 200 MGAs, picked up the phone and just asked to get on an airplane, and go visit them. So it was a little tough early on. And then the momentum kept going. Early on, our target was to do two things. We wanted to acquire smaller, usually family-owned MGAs and or start them. And so we'd go find an expert underwriter at a PNC company, pull them out of that environment, build a system around them, find them capacity, and start MGAs. And so I'd say early on, our goal was to try to do two of each a year. Coincidentally, I think we've done 26 deals, almost 13 acquisitions, almost 13 startups, but different periods of our lifetime, we've focused on startups or focused on acquisitions, depending where the market is. The last year, I think acquisitions with valuations are very tough. We've been somewhat of a very disciplined, conservative buyer. And early on, when we were alone, you know, really alone from a private equity backed roll up strategy to today, there's probably 10, 15, 20. And, and many people are trying to get into the space. So it's driven valuations almost two times as high, I'd say from an average of seven times to certainly north of 12, 13, 14. And so we haven't been as good as acquiring as we had starting businesses. So is that EBITDA multiples? Or? Multiples of EBITDA, yeah. yeah. Wow. So I suppose you had a kind of perfect storm when you started. You had that post-financial crisis and a lot of people who should have sold but sort of had to sell. That's always a good time to buy, I suppose. I'd say that or someone hadn't really thought about selling yet. And the idea of us coming, getting involved and really letting them keep a minority and really growing their business. You know, most of the businesses we purchase at 20, 30 million of premium, today they have over 100 million of premium. So the plan was to keep those principles in for a period, three or four years, learn the business, make sure we have great succession, and then buy them out. And I think in all cases, that second paycheck on a minority has been larger than the first check coming in to buy the majority. So the plans worked. And after all this, obviously, M&A and organic growth, 
What sort of size are you at now as a group? What sort of GWP and what sort of headcount? So if we fast forward from 2011 when we formed, we've got 26 different MGAs. We've got well over 500 employees. We'll do over a billion one of premium, 200 of that here in London. So we're excited about that. And we'll, we'll talk about K2 International a little bit later and what our plans are for that. So we've grown quite nicely. Obviously, it's a pretty good market at the moment. So what sort of growth plans are you penciling in for the next 12 months? Two things. So as I mentioned last year, we focused almost solely on startups. And so in the history of K2, we've done one or two deals a year from a startup perspective. Last year, last 18 months, we've done 18. So it just seemed like a good use of our time and, and not to get too much detail, but we started more folks in professional lines. So we did a lawyer's program, a med mal program, a property program, habitational. We started a golf course program, an auto dealers program, and a new construction program in New York. So generally trying to find underserved niche areas if we can find the right underwriter. And so finding an expert entrepreneurial underwriter wants to join our platform. So focus heavy on that. Going forward, you ask about growth. I'd say, you know, it took us three or four years to get to a hundred million of premium. We'd be disappointed if we didn't grow by a hundred million just organically every year. This market's a little bit easier. Certain ENS lines of business for us or programs are growing 20, 30% a year. On average, just through rate, we're getting about 9.9%. So I would say 10% on a billion one, we should just see organic growth. In this market, that will change. Insurance is cyclical. We've got a couple of acquisitions that are north of 50 to $100 million programs, two or three of those. And so that could be another $200 million of volume in two years. And then lastly, I'd say there's three or four segments we want to go after. So we have to go identify expert underwriters. Haven't done that, but it's dislocated markets. And so obviously we don't do well in commodities. The large stock companies do a really good job in homeowners. And personal auto, we've got to find markets that people are running out of and we've run in with solutions. So that's where we do our best. You mentioned, and you're right to say that it is a more crowded space than it was 10 years ago when you started doing the sort of incubation and roll up that you've been doing in that past decade. So how do you try and differentiate yourself from your competitors? Is there a sort of unifying theme behind those MJs? It sounds like it's really eclectic and it's more about the people. It is about expert underwriting, finding the right underwriter. So rarely do we think about a class we want to be in. A great underwriter comes to us or is introduced to us. Changing a little bit, now we think there's three or four different market segments we're not in that we should be in. So we're going to go out there and hunt and look for great underwriters. But start with the underwriters. We really want them to do two things. Do they have relationships? Will the brokers support them with business? And do they know what to do with it once they get it? Can they produce an underwriting result for our carrier partner and make us a margin? And that's really it. I mean, that's what we've done. So we looked somewhat eclectic. We've got 25 different units. I could see in the next two or three years trying to roll some of those together, whether it be property, personal lines, you know, just three or four silos, much larger. So more of a branding effort, but we haven't done that. We haven't worried about branding. If good opportunities present themselves to us, we're going to look at them hard. And that's what we've done. You said about some of your original investments having those typically sort of aging legacy systems. And a lot of your peers, would sell themselves particularly as a technology platform almost to say, come and join us because we can have better tech than your legacy carrier that you were working for. Yeah. Is that one of your strategies? It is. Again, we want them to underwrite, have relationships. We have all the skills from a K2 holding group to have all the analytics. So we've got, whether it be data scientists, cap modelers, actuaries, IT folks, general counsel, HR. So they don't have to worry about that. They're good insurance people. And that's what we want them to do and not be distracted with the business of running or owning an MGA. 
And so part of that is systems. And so for me coming in from a reinsurance broking background, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I had no idea how our customers got the business. And the IT and systems is so crucial. I didn't understand distribution. I didn't understand systems. From our perspective, when we collect the dollar premium, our biggest payment is commission, number one. Number two is our payroll. Number three, systems. So the two things I didn't understand are the top two of our three expenses. So we had to learn those quickly. And, and we've done a good job, I think, doing that. We're producing great margins for our investors. But there was a learning curve. It demystified the reason why proportional treaties have 30-plus commission. <laughs> you think, what the hell do they need that permission for? I understood for? how it was built. I just didn't understand where all those pieces went. And now I do. So from technology perspective, sure. Uh, personalized, we're very efficient. We hopefully don't touch more than 5% of our policies. So business comes in, 95% is automatically underwritten. If the agent has a problem, special acceptance, we'll pick up the phone and talk. On a $400 mobile home, we don't have much time or margin to talk, nor do they. They're making $60 commission. So they can't be on the phone for an hour. So we had to build really good systems on the personal lines. Commercial lines, again, we've got 25 different units. So we really use three systems, personal lines, commercial lines, and we have a work comp system. So I don't think there's a silver bullet. I think we tried to spend the money to build one system for 25 programs. We'd be cost prohibitive. So anyway, we've got great systems. I know your next question is we talk about analytics and how do we think about that AI underwriting and whatnot. So on the personal lines, we're doing that. We're going out to a lot of third-party data points and getting data to do the underwriting. Commercial lines, it's been a little tougher. We're getting there. So we use predictive analytics. We also are using some cap models and everything else. But it will make us better, but it hasn't been the keystone of what we're doing. Is it the art or the science? And I think we've always believed more in the art of the underwriting than the science. But trying to merge those together will make us better. I wonder whether a day ever goes by in the market when someone isn't talking about innovation. In an industry dominated by generic products, insurance businesses are understandably looking for some sort of advantage, some way to differentiate themselves that will make them a more attractive proposition. It's the right ambition, but are they looking in the right places? Because if they do manage to find a smart product or technology or service, the business benefit it delivers will usually be pretty short-lived for the simple reason that it can and will be copied. Case in point, who doesn't have a terrorism or cyber product live or in the works? But what if there was already the makings of a completely unique advantage hiding in plain sight? The team at Free Partners believe the only true differentiator you will ever have is your brand. It's yours and yours alone. Free Partners helps insurance businesses answer the question, why you? So that your brand becomes the engine for business growth. If creating a sustainable business advantage is what you're after, why not check out their three-step, standout, grow strong plan at freepartners.com. Would you say it's more about the productivity for that thing that the broker's only going to get 60 bucks? You know, you don't want to waste their time. So if you can automate as much of that as possible, presumably that's what it's all about. We have to be extremely easy to do business with. If not, they'll find there's five more solutions for them. And commission levels are about the same. We all pay about the same commission. So we've got great relationships, great service, and the service on that side's automation. Make it really easy for our agent customers to get us business. So the way you'd look at the AI and machine learning and that kind of stuff is more about trying to find ways of making people more productive rather than making the better risk selection or a bit of both. We've focused on that. I'm not saying that's where the market is. And I think we're all getting more towards using AI to produce better underwriting results. But we get a commission from 
our carriers. If we can be more efficient, we get to keep that difference in our pocket. So it makes our margins higher. So we focused on that initially. Now we think we can save a point or two or three on underwriting result, but it's a cost benefit analysis. Are we gonna spend $5 million to go save a carrier million? Probably not. We're working on it constantly and every program's a little bit different. I suppose if you are really, really easy to do business with, you're the most easy in the market to do business with, you probably just get a better showing of business and therefore get a better combined ratio anyway. Perhaps. I'd say this for us, you know, we pay a market commission. Our rates are, especially in the admitted world where we're filed, are very comparable to our competitors. So why do we win? You know, we're winning in relationship and service and our underwriting results are good. And so all we want to do is get more at-bats, get more business in the door. And so that's where we're spending our money on efficiencies and systems and relationships with the brokers. So I don't know if loss ratio improves. Obviously, the larger you get, sometimes maybe the loss ratio goes the other way if you open your box of what you really want to focus on and you're good at. So I don't necessarily know the larger we get, the loss ratio improves. I think the efficiencies improve, the distribution efficiencies and our margins might increase. I'm not saying the carrier results get better, but it's something we really watch. You ask what differentiates K2, as I mentioned, we've got all these analytics. We want to look like, I'd say any mid cap, large cap carrier, we've got the same analytics, same systems. And so it's not what MJ is worth 30 years ago, where we really were distribution partners only, maybe some underwriting. We're really underwriting in analytics. And we produce, we've seen that our numbers that we produce better results than the PNC market. So something's working. So in the market, where are your real bright spots when you're surveying your MGAs and you're thinking, wow, wish we could do more of this? Well, one of the questions is probably where are our trouble spots? And for us, it's capacity. It's certain things, especially in the London marketplace where they have stamped capacity and we're seeing sometimes 20, 30% rate increases. It makes no sense that we're going to run out of stamp capacity and actually have to get off of profitable renewals at a 30% rate increase. So for us, one of the biggest issues is capacity. We're doing a billion one. Could we do a billion three with more capacity? Probably. So that's where our bright spots where we could do more is, you know, all the ENS space right now, we're seeing 20, 30% rate increases. Commercial property, we've grown that business from 4 million to 120 million in a 10 year period, long period. We're big writers of contractors. That business has grown tremendously. Our London business, ENO for financial institutions, our property cat book has grown tremendously. But in almost all those segments, we're running out of capacity. And so we're constantly out looking for that. And so I think that's one of our biggest struggles. I'm going to get Patrick Tierney on the show <laughs> in a few weeks' time. And so your plea to him would be please let the good guys have more capacity. The nice thing we have actuaries, we show great historical results, it's still hard to convince someone to give us capacity. It's one of the hardest things we do. And then you're always amazed that somebody you think is not as good as you is able to get capacity. So it's sometimes scratch your head, but you got to keep out there, constantly out there going to the conferences. And that's part of the reason we're here in London uh, for the MGAA, trying to do some hunting. So I know we want to talk about K2 International. That's good. Well, I'll see you there tomorrow. Yeah, fantastic. Obviously, we've had a big shakeout typical end of soft market shakeout, I would say. You clear out the not-so-good stuff and the winners are kind of shining through. And obviously, you've come through all of this yourselves. Before we turn on the microphones, I learned that you do actually own some balance sheets. And obviously, for other MGAs that have been pure MGAs, this moment, this hard market turn or market hardening has been that moment where they've decided to source some of their own capacity. Because of course, that typical situation at the end of a soft market where some of their long-term partners, even if their results have been good, have said, I'm really sorry, we're pulling out of this line, we're going to have to cancel your binder, that kind of stuff. And it's been frustrating. And for them, it's been the catalyst to go and source some of their own capacity. You've, of course, 
already had a few balance sheets within your investments over the years. Has it made you want to go and source capital, obviously, and also you're quite close to capital, having been a reinsurance broker? Could you just phoned a few of your friends and built your own balance sheet? We'll see how easy it is. But <laughs> on the note of wanting to do it, we did do it eight or nine years ago. We bought an insurance company in Harrisburg called Aegis. We grew that from, we stripped it down. From- and just to be clear, it's not the Aegis that we all know here, the big power company, Power Mutual, obviously with the Lloyd Syndicate. Much, much smaller. Much smaller, right? A minus rated in Harrisburg, 65 million surplus. So anyway, we bought it, we stripped it down from 110 down to 70. That was third party business. And we use that just for K2 business. And so as we go hire an underwriter, we'd say, hey, if we can't find you paper, we'll give you our A-rated paper. And so it really helped us grow K2 by recruitment of great expert underwriters. We recapitalized the company two years ago. And Endeavor, our original partner, Pat Kilkenny, were purchased or bought out by the name of Lee Equity. Lee was not interested in the balance sheet business. And so we did not buy the carrier. We only bought the MJ distribution underwriting. So we've had an agreement, it expires soon. And so we had that balance sheet, that will go away. And so now we're starting to think again, as you asked, do we wanna be back in the balance sheet business? And rather than be 100% owners, I think it's easier today to go find investors to help us do that. We did that last year. We're really good at the manufactured housing, mobile home space. We couldn't find capacity in Florida, even though we write 75 million of it in other states. So we created a reciprocal exchange called American Mobile Insurance Exchange. We invested our own money. We went out and got third-party capital, and we're writing business in Florida. So I guess the levees broke. We're open to the idea again. And actually here in London, we're thinking, do we go buy another balance sheet for a K2 business? Do we start a syndicate, which might be a more efficient way to do it with probably better security and less capital requirements from us? So... You asked the question, and the answer is yes. We're looking at somehow putting more of our capital in place, a risk bearer, with third-party partners, so we don't probably know less than 15 would it be something that would be complementary, more like ballast sort of thing that would write a 10% share of all of your business, so you give those back as a really nice, balanced, diversified book? Or would it be something you'd be wanting to try and write all of your own business 100%? It would only be used for K2 business, number one. So if we did a syndicate here, we're not going to write open market business. That's not the business model or plan. It would probably be a subset of our business. Number one, to get the plan approved and to gain investor commitments, we'd have to show, I wouldn't say our best business, but some of our better performing business. So we could take probably 50 to $100 million of our business, sub 80% combined or 85, which I think outperforms the Lloyd marketplace. And so if we can demonstrate that, and we have actuaries and we keep data on all our programs, I can show you 10-year history that can get you an 85 combined, nine and a half years out of 10. So I think we can use our own book to go, again, 80% of the capital from third-party investors who want to make two-to-one leverage, make 30% return. And I think there'll be a long list of people who want to do that with us. Obviously, you got onto my radar, everyone in London, because of your acquisition of what was then Pioneer Underwriting, and obviously now K2 International. How's K2 International going? Obviously, that's going to be your London and European arm. I'm curious how we hit your radar. Was it, who are these Americans who are buying Pioneer? Everett is so guilty. We're all guilty of being sort of parochial in the insurance industry and in London sometimes even more so, I would say. So we wanted to expand. As I mentioned, more and more people are coming to our space in the United States. You look here in London, I'd say there's obviously some big players in the MGA roll-up strategy, but not near as many as the United States. And so the Pioneer opportunity came to us. It came to us early. 
We didn't like it in its entirety. We felt it had a couple, four or five good programs. The rest we weren't as excited about. And so as it progressed and it skinny down to three or four programs, we got really interested. And so we dealt with the Nova Group to make the acquisition. You asked, are we satisfied? Yes, we bought four units. One we realized quickly was not going to perform well, so we closed that down. The three have all done really well, surprisingly, during COVID, you know, not being out to market, not being in the marketplace here, but they've all, for the most part, got more capacity written probably 20%. I think we had about 170 million. We'll do about 210 this year. So we've been able to grow the business without us being here. Of the 40-odd employees here, I've met five. And so we're here in London to host a big luncheon and meet everybody else. So COVID was tough. The plan was to do the same thing we've done in the States, roll up some smaller MGAs here in the UK, go find expert underwriters and build programs. And so we're just a year and a half behind because of COVID. Besides all that, the team's still done a good job growing the business and creating value for us and the investors. So we've been pleased with it. Yeah, what's that balance? I think you've already answered this at the moment. Is it, is it really down to market conditions? That balance between buying and building your own? 100% market conditions. Yeah. Even though I said we focused seven startups last year, we did acquire a few MGAs. We bought a travel cancellation program, which has done extremely well. So it's roaring out of COVID, whether it be concerts, event cancellation, airline travel, and soon hopefully the cruise ships. So I think, you know, we bought it. It was not doing well. Only earlier this year, it had its best month in its 20-year history in June. So people are spending money on travel and concerts. So anyway, we acquired that. We acquired a company that does exterminators. So it's about $35 million of just the exposures related to an exterminator. We bought an insurtech company. We had never been in insurtech. So we bought a company that simplifies the loss run collection process. So a broker has to go get the loss run approved and go out to the carrier to get the loss runs to quote the business. We've done this automated through the iPhone. It all happens in seconds from the minute you sign it to the minute the carrier pulls the loss run. So it, it simplifies that, helps brokers win new business. Then we also bought a claims adjusting firm and we also bought a premium finance company. So when I say we focused on startups, it was really in the MGA space. Then we looked at ancillary lines that other people are generating revenue off our business. And so we're just trying to get a deeper share of the wallet with our customer base. And so again, premium finance, some of the insure tech, and then the claims. And also, I noticed you had an investment in a broker as well, Ballantyne, over here in London. How does that fit in? So is it more about, yes, getting more of that 30% in your pocket? It actually goes back to, we said, finding the right people. And so it wasn't that. And we'll talk about it. It could get there. It currently is not doing any K2 business. It's got four or five programs, all different MGAs globally, half in America, half in others. So it's more a broker that specializes in sourcing capacity. I think for you saw the consolidation here. And I think there's always room for a great independent. And you have a consolidation, there's going to be shakeout. Good brokers are going to leave. They have to land somewhere. And so I think we've created a perfect landing place for these folks. Now, will we use it for our business? Perhaps it's not there to service K2 business. It's an independent broker for MJs all around the world. But if they have the expertise, sure, we'll use them. And I could see if we had a syndicate here, we might use that as our entry point into our syndicate. We might use it as our exit point on seated re to protect the syndicate. So who knows where it's going to go? Right now, it's this independent broker hitting their goals. And we've been pleased with it. 
so to describe your business, it's not just an MGA business. You're not an MGA incubator. It's very hard for a journalist to give you a two-word prefix to make it easy to understand. It's hard for me to give you <laughs> a hundred-word prefix to make you understand. It's again, it's good opportunities. People say, when do you stop growing? When do you stop doing this diversification? And I say, when great opportunities stop presenting themselves. And they continue to, through our relationships with reinsurance brokers, bankers, reinsurers, you know, our phone rings a lot once a week. There's something we're looking at. And as long as our phone is ringing, and actually now we're actually more hunting, we are getting strategic. You ask areas we're not, we're not in cyber. I sense there'll be heavy dislocation, whether it be through the data breaches or whatnot, the rates will go up. Certain carriers are pulling out. So it's a good opportunity for MJs to enter. Reps of warranty, we've seen three or four MJs sell. Crazy valuations. We think there's room for a good player there. So we're out hunting underwriters for reps of warranty. Parametric, we have identified somebody. We'll probably be in the parametric property space soon and in wildfire. Everyone's running out of that area. We should be developing products to run in. And so we're working on that. So those would be our four areas we're targeting. Why I'm here in London, we're attending the MGAA. And we haven't added any MGAs to our K2 international platform. We're here to hunt. And so I think there's 120 members there. We're going to try to look for the smaller independents that want some kind of capitalization event or just looking for a bigger partner to help them grow. So every MJ we've purchased probably has at least doubled. I mean, we've really added value. And so for us, fundamentally, if we can't grow the business or add value, we're not interested in it. Right. So I'm excited to see what we find uh, tomorrow at the conference. I'll be wearing hunting gear and an orange coat, <laughs> but we're Let's here. See, hopefully we get a good crowd of people out. It doesn't sound like you're anywhere near sort of the fruition of what this K2 plan is, but do you have some kind of grand plan in your mind that when do you get to sell up and move on and buy the yacht? Or are you the sort of person who wants to build a business forever? The latter. I think build the business forever. And maybe you can buy a yacht or two along the way. I'm not sure. But no, really, our new partner, Lee Equity, has said, hey, make every decision like you're going to own the business forever. So we're not looking, even though valuations are incredibly high right now. And fortunately, we accumulate a lot of assets when valuations were much lower. However, the market's good. We're growing 10, 20% a year with a billion one of premium. So there is no plan. There is no IPO plan. There are no discussions with any new investors. Our management team, our owners, and Lee Equity are very happy where we are. So no plans. Just going to keep going. Keep going. More of the same. You mentioned about InsureTech. Now you've bought one. It's been such an interesting time to be a journalist the last four or five years you know, we started doing InsureTech conferences and then they just went crazy. And you know, yep. I ended up doing, I think I did four InsureTech conferences in one year and two in New York in the same place. And they got bigger and bigger. But now we seem to have come to a maturity phase. Now we've had these IPOs of the, the sort of pinup poster children of the early InsureTech generation. What do you think we've learned mostly out of this, of this huge outpouring of, well, a huge amount of intellectual capital and a great amount of different people very smart people being attracted to insurance industry for the first time and a lot of genuine dollars being invested. What do you think the main learnings are so far? So you use the word mature, and I don't know if they've matured. They've matured to capital raises, they've matured to IPOs, but as far as wealth generation or are they successful, I think the jury's still out. I'd say most of these companies have started with a piece of technology and they're trying to race towards base of premium and a profitable underwriting result. I don't know many have done that yet. Even if they're getting a billion dollar valuation, they're writing 40 million of premium at horrible loss ratios. So I don't agree that it's mature. Again, they're raising capital, they're doing a great job. For us, they all want what we have. They want premium. 
we have 1.1 billion of premium. So we're starting a different place. We grew that. Now, if we can innovate that, I think we have something really special. And so we're looking at all our programs. If we hire an innovation officer or how do we innovate every one of our programs or those that can be innovated and everything can't be innovative, but those that we can, I think whether it be the tortoise or the hare, I think we're probably the tortoise, but I think we'll get there with a much better value proposition for the risk bears that I've seen from the insure techs. I haven't seen it. I don't know your opinion on that. I'd love to hear It's about changing your mindset anyway, at least learning from them that if you can automate it, probably it is a good idea to do so if you can, if it's economical to do so. But again, none of them have written that much premium and the loss ratios have been worse than the PNC industry. So the jury's out, but I think they'll get there. And how far do you think automatic underwriting could go? And we've seen automatic underwriting start up in Lloyd's with a syndicate. Does that interest you at all? It sounds like you're more traditionally would rather leave it to the underwriter. I think there's a balance between art and science. And I think whatever we can automate to get more information that improves underwriting result efficiently. So again, I, we spend a lot of money getting data points that don't impact underwriting. So it's a balance of constantly looking at how do you improve your product filing, your systems, your automation. I haven't seen anyone fully automate that's proved the results of that great that it's worth the investment. But I think there are so much data points available. So we're all using them. Full automation, I don't think we'll get there. Use of automation and use of AI, sure. We're trying to do that every day. However, we can prove the result. Generally, the carrier shares part of that with us. So that improves our result. So we're constantly trying to improve our end result. And whatever tools we can do to, to help that, we're going to explore. Well, Bob, I wish you happy hunting in adding to your collection of MGAs and other ancillary businesses as well. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay in London. And I'd love you to check in at some point in the future and see how far you've got this time next year. We expect to be back at least twice, three times a year. So I'd love to have a follow-up in six months. Fantastic. Mark, I appreciate your time. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. Thank you.